Well, we have been in a series uh, called Families Are Messy, and it's been really encouraging to me to talk to you about how messy your families are, because then I'm, I'm not alone. That's really good. I like that. And uh, we have been talking, uh, we started a couple weeks ago, and you'll notice I'm missing someone up here. My wife, she's been up here, right? Now, that's sad, isn't it? Thank you, that's right. Because if you say it loud enough, maybe she'll come back on one of these other weeks. I would like that, I need her. Well, uh, we have been talking about the patriarchs that we look at and we read about in the book of Genesis. And some of the patriarchs we've been studying and looking at is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and soon to be Joseph. And today we're gonna look at Abram and Sarai. And before their names were changed, you know them maybe better as Abraham and Sarah. And, and we're gonna look at a story that comes out of Genesis chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, iPhone, iPad, open it up there and that's where we're gonna start. Let me ask the question though, before we dive into the passage here, have you ever in your life prayed, or maybe it wasn't so fancy of a prayer, maybe it was more like a finger in the face, saying, God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why is my life turned out like this? God, if, if you have good things for me and dreams that I thought you put in my heart, why haven't they come to pass yet? You see, those were the questions that were going on in the life of Abram and Sarai. God had given them 10 years previous, when Abram was 75 years old, his wife, evidently very foxy, a 65-year-old, and I'm just going off of the passage here, okay? I mean, read it, you'll, you'll see that. But, but, but it, God had given them a covenant God had given Abram a vision and a dream that I'm gonna bless you and that from you will, you'll be the father of many nations and look into the stars and you can't even count them and you're gonna have more people that trace their lineage back to you than you can even count. Now, 10 years had gone by. No baby, no son. And they're starting to question and they're starting to wonder and they're very troubled in their heart. In Genesis chapter 16, verse one says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar, and we'll learn more about Hagar in a moment. But see, for Abraham, Abram and his wife Sarah, they had this dream, and the dream was shattered through infertility. And if you struggle with infertility, can be such a heartbreak, such a difficult issue to deal with. And in their day and age, it was even harder because you see, everything was wrapped up for a woman in her ability to have children. And to not have children meant you were a failure. And to not have children meant that society might even look at you and wonder if you've been cursed. Infertility is a heartbreak. Maybe that's your shattered dream, but maybe it's not. Maybe for you, it's just that you want to be married. You want to be married and you've been waiting, you've been praying, and it hasn't happened yet. Or possibly your shattered dream may be the death of a spouse or of a child. Or maybe your shattered dream is that you've been praying for a loved one to come to know Jesus, 
to walk with him, to love him. And all you see is that that child is just growing further and further away. Or maybe your shattered dream is your career, that you're doing something now that you never imagined yourself doing. Or for some of us, it's our health. Your mobility is limited now. Or you live with chronic pain. Or maybe you're still married. Your marriage isn't the way you dreamed it would be. The person you thought you married isn't turning out to be that person. And so that dream of what your lives would be like is no longer there. Whatever it is, it's different for all of us. But when you have a shattered dream, those feelings of failure, those feelings of disappointment and hopelessness can rise up within you. The scripture tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when we've been waiting on something for a long, long, long time to happen and it hasn't happened, our heart can grow weary and tired. And if we're not careful, we can begin to give up on the dream or give up on God or even worse, feel cheated by God. And what happens is we can start to take control of our lives. Maybe where once we were thinking, I'm trusting God with my life, we begin to go, God, you don't know how to drive. Move over. I'll figure this thing out. In verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. See, the first temptation when a dream has been delayed or a dream is shattered is to take control, to try and make it happen, to try and figure out a way that we, if I insert my own ingenuity, my own creativity, my own hard work, I'll bring this thing about. And so verse 3 says, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing mess coming here. <laughs> this happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Now, what you need to know is uh, that in this culture, in that day, in the land of Canaan, it was very common that if the wife was barren and couldn't have children to give her servant to her husband to be a surrogate mother and to have the child through her. The bummer is the biological mother wasn't allowed to raise the child in most cases, but it became the one who was barren that now got to claim that child because she was the master. Now, just a quick side note here. It's not wrong in many situations to try to fix something that's out of order in your life, to bring a solution, to apply yourself in some way. It's not, that's, don't get the impression that's always wrong. For example, if you have an addiction going on in your life, you're addicted to pornography or to prescription drugs or some other thing, that you need to go get help. You don't need to sit back and pray and say, God, take this away from me. No, you need to do something. Or maybe you need a job. And if you need a job, yes, you start by praying, but then you gotta get out and you gotta start knocking on doors. 
and putting applications in because God wants you to be a part of that. The problem, though, is that when we quit trusting God in our lives, when through our own unbelief and disappointment in God's lack of care, we begin to take control over a circumstance, over a relationship, over our future, and we begin to insert ourselves and kind of pushing God to the side. That's when the mess begins to happen. Have you ever done that? Have you ever got tired of waiting on God's timing because his timing is way too long and you just said, I'll take care of this. God, I don't need to look for a Christian guy in a church. I'm going clubbing. I'll figure it out. <laughs> you ever done that? See, there's lots of good activities, but when we keep God to the side and we think, I'll take charge here, God, because I think I can figure out how to run my life. Verse 4 says, but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, so it happened, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Now, I don't know, I feel a little bit bad for Abram, not much, but a little bit. Because he's got a major mess on his hands now, right? He's got two wives, and I can imagine he probably, note to self, one wife is fine. Sarai's rec recommendation of having this surrogate mother plan is now backfiring because Hagar, who's now pregnant, says, hey, I'm the favored one, I'm blessed. Maybe Abram will even love me more than you. And, and, and it begins to turn south. The solution that was so creative and so ingenious blows up in Sarai's face. Now there's this huge mess for the whole family. Verse 5 says, then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. <laughs> I'm not saying anything beyond that. <laughs> this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. <laughs> Pull out the God card, I like it. Just throw it right in front of Abram's face. See, when, when it doesn't work out, when your plan fails, what we often do is we begin to look for people to blame. We look for people to blame because it didn't work out. And that's exactly what she does. She starts with blaming Abram. She blames Hagar. She ends up blaming God. And then when, when that doesn't work, what happens is that when people aren't admitting and taking all of the fault, then it just grows inside and turns into bitterness. And the bitterness is a pill. It's a poison that you ingest that only hurts you. And what happens is that bitterness turns to anger and it begins to come out and spill out on other people. Have you ever been around someone who's bitter? They're very difficult to be around. And Sarai, this beautiful woman of God, through her own shattered dream and through that distancing that happened in her heart from God, she's beginning to struggle. And you see it here. And she's hard to be around. And Abram, he says this in verse 6, Look, she's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. In other words, I can't solve this mess. 
It's too whacked out. It's too messed up. Sarai, just fix it some more, okay? And she does. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Sarai's shattered dream ends up infecting other people as well. It's infecting her family. It's infecting Hagar. See, I, I imagine Hagar, in the midst of this, kind of had maybe a dream of her own that she would raise a family, that she would be loved by a husband, that she would be able to carry on uh, her life with love and peace and in the community. And here she is feeling like, I, I can't fit here. I don't fit here anymore. This is a mess. And so she packs her bags and she leaves. She chooses homelessness rather than the protection of her family. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, oh, I bet this really made her happy. <laughs> Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. You see the dream? And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Now, I know that all sounds bad, but actually there's a lot of good in there too. Therefore, or thereafter, Hagar used another name. In other words, this was good news. It, it changed her entire perspective and she uses this other name for God. And she says, you are the God who sees me. And she also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? There was this relationship with God that began to form in the middle of this shattered dream. The Lord hears your cries of distress. And he says, I still have a future for you. God says, I see you. That's God's word for any in this room here this morning that find yourself disillusioned, depressed, or desperate. For anyone and everyone with a shattered dream, God says, I see you. I see you. I know you. I hurt with you and for you. And I have a future for you if you'll turn back to me. If you'll turn back to me and you'll begin to submit again to the authority of God in your life, God says, let the bitterness go. Let go of blame. Quit blaming yourself and quit blaming others. And God says, I will bless you. You see, one of the keys to our shattered dreams has to do with our focus. What are you focused on? And when bitterness begins to grow in our life, and we feel like we've been cheated, what happens is we begin to focus on such a narrow little subset of our life and what we don't have rather than what we do have. I don't 
have a husband. I don't have a wife. I don't have that child. I don't have the job I want. I don't have, rather than I do have, that God has blessed me in so many different ways. And he still has a future out ahead for me. Where's your focus? Is it on the God who sees you, or is it on just what you don't have? When uh, my boys were in element, early elementary school, Tisa and I wanted a little girl and so uh, to go with them. And uh, we weren't going to get rid of any of them. We just <laughs> wanted to add a third one. And, and so uh, we tried, and she got pregnant. And it wasn't a little girl. We were a little disappointed. But we figured, hey, we're good at raising boys. So we had a third boy on the way. And as, as uh, she got into her third trimester, went in for a, a regular checkup, and found out, unfortunately, that our baby boy had died. And we had already named him John Michael. We had already kind of had a room set up or getting set up with some things being put in it ready for that day when you would bring him home. And, and uh, so she had to go to the hospital, get induced, deliver a dead baby. And then we held that baby and we had a funeral and we buried our baby and we were demolished. We were crushed. That was a dream that had been shattered. And she blamed herself for maybe not taking better care of herself prenatally and all of that. None of that was true. But, you know, your mind goes in some really weird places when you're hurting. And when something like that happens, you do look for someone to blame, even if it just all lands on you. And then I just felt like, God, why? Why, why did this happen? And why, why did you give us that? that dream, and then only to have it ripped out from underneath us. And my focus began to narrow, and it began to narrow just down onto what I didn't have and what was taken rather than what I did have. Right under my nose, there were these two amazing kids that God had put in our lives. And we had amazing friends God had put all around us to walk with us. And an amazing, wonderful church and God gave me a wife, the best wife that a man could ever ask for. And God was actually still there in my life that he hadn't forsaken me. He hadn't ripped me off and cheated me, though I felt he had. But he was actually a father who understood the loss of a son because he sent his one and only son to die for you and me. You see, it's these valleys of life that bring us face to face with God. All of a sudden, the ultimate becomes the intimate. And when I'm going through a valley, I don't want to just talk about God. I need to talk to God. Religion no longer matters. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. When you're in that valley and you're splint, spent and depleted and perplexed, struggling, reach out to God. Know that he sees you and he wants you to see him, to see him and to see that he's good. Yes, I wish we didn't have to suffer. And yes, I wish every dream came true. And yes, it hurts deeply. And some of you are hurting today. But remember, God is for you, not against you. Who do you see God to be in your life? Is he a God that's just trying to get even with you or to teach you a lesson by withholding some good thing from your life? Making you struggle with 
with a loss or infertility, making you pay for some past sin or failure? Is that who God really is? Is he trying to settle the score somehow? See, the fact is that God already settled the score when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for you and me. That all of our sins were placed on his shoulders and his last words were, it is finished, paid in full. He was nailed to the cross so you can quit nailing yourself to it. Jesus came to give us life, to forgive us, and to fill us with fresh vision and dream for our future. And the same God that revealed himself to Hagar is the same God who wants to reveal himself new and fresh in your life this morning. Hagar said, you are the God that sees me. Do you know God that way? Because he wants you to. He's a God that sees you. That means that he knows you and he wants to bless you and turn your pain and your loss into something that's redemptive, that he brings value out of, that he uses to help other people. So bitterness has no place. Will you turn your back on bitterness today? Will you ask God to uproot bitterness from your heart because it is poisoning you? Or maybe blaming, blaming others for something that went wrong, blaming, you know, an employer, blaming a spouse, blaming a child for creating so much disruption in your home, or even blaming God. <coughs> what if we just stopped blaming today and just said, God, I'm hurting and I need your help. I need you to come in and begin to show me you're the God who sees me. Your heavenly father sees you with eyes of love and compassion that no matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter what kind of shattered dream you've experienced in your life, God intends good for you. But it starts with turning back to him. He told Hagar in that place of the wilderness, go back and submit. And it means that we trust God again in our lives, that God, you are good. God, you are worthy to be trusted. Even though I've been hurt and these dreams have been shattered, he still has good things to bring. He brought good things in Hagar's life. He brought good things in Sarai's life, in Abram's life, because 15 years later, they had that promised son. And God did fulfill his promises, though not on their timetable. He's a God who sees. He sees you. Let's ask him to fill our hearts with fresh vision for our future, but more importantly, for who he is. Let's pray together. God, our redeeming Father, we come to you. And Lord, I know that in this room represents many different kinds of shattered dreams, of things that have not yet happened that we're longing for and tired of waiting. Lord, would you fill our spiritual lungs with fresh hope, God, that you are a God who sees us, knows us, loves us. Maybe you're here. It starts with just receiving God's heart for you. That he sees you. That he calls to you in your place of wilderness. Where are you going? 
turn back to me. I see you. I even have good things for you. If that's you, I invite you to just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm placing my faith and my trust in you today. What you did on the cross. That you died for me. That you covered all of my sin. That you settled the score once and for all on that cross. So today, Lord, I'm receiving forgiveness. I'm letting other people go that I've held captive. I'm turning away from bitterness. I'm going to quit, try, quit trying to control my life and my future, and I'm going to ask God that you come in and be my leader and my Lord. I need that. I want that. that was you, God is at work changing, transforming, redeeming. And Father, for each one of us, we pray that you would revive us and that you would pour fresh dreams in our lives and help us wherever we have waned in our ability to trust, Lord, would you give us that ability again to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.